Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Second period, where players dash with skates the flash, the home team trails behind, but they grab the puck and go bursting up and they're down across the line. They storm the crease like bumblebees, they travel like a burning flame. We see them slide the puck inside, it's a 1-1 hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Third period, last game in the playoffs, too. Oh, take me where the hockey players face off down the rink. And the Stanley Cup is all filled up for the champs who win the drink. Now the final flick of a hockey stick and a one gigantic scream. The puck is in, the home team wins the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Well, there you have it. Stopping Tom Connors, one of the greatest songs ever written, uh, and definitely one of the greatest songs ever written about hockey. And I'm Candid Frank. On the other side is David Morasuti. David, welcome to the program again. How's it going, buddy? Not too bad. How are you doing, Frank? Yeah, absolutely just fine. I had my um, my card violated, and uh, the credit card company sent me and told me it was violated. <laughs> And poor Blog Talk Radio went to make money off me, and I didn't have any to give them because my card number was changed. Um, so took care of that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it, it all you know we don't we don't do this for nothing. This is something we do because we love the game, as David will tell you. His salary is next to nothing. Well, actually, it is nothing. We don't do this for the paycheck. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, here it is. Um, you know, a week where I think it's I think it's safe to say there have been uh, some weeks that the Leafs have been involved in that have been, to say it bluntly, ones that the fans could care less about. But this is probably the one that that I'm going to say. I'm going to use this word because with Leaf fans, 1967 and everything associated uh, with that. Since then, this has been the most depressing week for Leaf fans, I believe. Do you agree with them being concerned, the ones that are concerned? They're they're always the ones that aren't concerned no matter what. But 
in in the case of the ones that may be concerned about the Maple Leafs, do we have something to worry about here? Do Leaf fans have to concern themselves? I think, you know, you're always going to get the fans that are concerned. No, regardless, there's the pessimistic fans. Um, there is some justification based on, I mean, look, injuries are going to happen. Guys are going to have to be asked to step in. Um, some of them haven't, you know, come up to, you know, provide what they needed, haven't been able to step up when called upon. So that's probably a little concerning. Um, but there's a couple of things that I'm not too concerned about over the long run. Like the four games, you know, that's that's a good period where you can say this, you know, this is just terrible. Um, but it's also four games. It's not like they've been like this. Like I, I look at, um, you know, there's teams that have gone through worse swings than what the Leafs have gone through, and I think it gets magnified always in Toronto. Like if if the Leafs did what Buffalo has done this season, like this would be the 18-wheeler over the cliff scenario all over again. Like we haven't reached that level yeah. yet, but that just that, you know, paranoia and the, the you know, what what Leafs fans have been through the last few, even the past decade, is going to give them some reason to always be, you know, be worried about anything that would happen. Concern. Exactly. Absolutely. Very concerned. Um, I would even throw this out there, though. When the season began, Buffalo, and I'll throw Montreal in there as well, they weren't given much of a chance to be in the hunt for a playoff spot. Montreal, up until the last couple of weeks, were in a playoff spot. I think at this point, the reality that was you know, in front of the Montreal Canadiens before the season started, they're living it right now. Because if when the season started, somebody would have said they're not eliminated yet and they're in the hunt for a playoff spot, both Montreal and Buffalo fans would be ecstatic. But because of the quick starts, the quick start that Buffalo had, and of course, uh, the start that Montreal had that is that has only met meant fading at this point, this late juncture in the season, you know, is, is a different beast. Whereas the Maple Leafs were a team that were up and coming. They were a team stacked with talent. They were a team with players who considered themselves and I and I say this quite clearly, players who consider themselves the elite, not only on this team, but in the National Hockey League by virtue of what they thought they were worth. How much, how much of that, raising the expectation of the team, um, you know, is this, are we seeing one of the reasons why down the, down the road, you know, teams are going to say, well, you can't do that. You know, is there something here with what the Leafs did in signing those, the two contracts that they've signed for the amount that they signed for? Do you think that has anything to do with this? Or is it just plain and simple, a lack of depth in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization? I don't really, you know, like the Tavares signing definitely raised expectations because you don't go out and sign, you know, a top free agent unless you think your team is, you know, able to take that next step. Like Dubas would not have done all that work to bring him and and Tavares wouldn't have come here either if he didn't think this team wasn't capable of being a contender. Like that, those expectations are very tough. Not everyone can handle those expectations. But 
I actually think, and I agree with you a little more, I think this has a little more to do with the fact that there there have been a lot of injuries, not just up in the leagues. I think we, we forget that there's some Marlies that I think would be already up with the team if they weren't injured. And that, you know, obviously takes, uh, you know, that changes up the plan there as well. So I think this really, this latest stretch or even just what's happened the last few games has more to do with Babcock only has one hand to work with. Uh, and Dubas really only has one hand to work with. It's not like he can change up the deck or change things, you know, ask for a new new deck of cards, a new set of cards. He can't. There's just nothing really there he can work with. And so I, I think that's really the issue is, you know, the injuries have at this point just really put them in a position where there's not much they can do. You know, the players, at the same time, there are players that I think that haven't played you know, to their level that they're expected to play at. Um, and I think they're the ones, like those players are the ones that need to, you know, just smell, as I say, smell the coffee, smell the roses, whatever you want to say. You know, get need a kick in the rear butt, whatever you want to, however you want to put They just need to play better, Frank. though, no, just frankly. Well, um, you know, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Don't, don't disagree, but I'm going to be a little harsher. Um, by virtue of how the players have played, Matthews, any lander, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they their value is visible. I'm not sure. And the reason I say that these are young players who will grow into great players. This is not. This statement has nothing to do with saying that you know Matthews and, and Nylander won't be elite players in the National Hockey League, but there are big holes in each of their games, giant holes in their games. One with, uh, you know, with Matthews, we're beginning to discover now as he's being relied on to to, to perform pay, faceoffs more often. We're finding that he's not very good at faceoffs. We're finding that Nylander is is pretty good at faceoffs, but we do also see that maybe. He makes some mistakes defensively. Now, are these mistakes and or lack of ability on both the parts of both those players, uh, do they mean that these guys don't deserve the money that they'll be earning next year? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is at this point and the way those two guys play, they're not, they're not elite enough by, by actions. Like, I get it that, that Matthew scores goals. But I also see that Matthews is on the ice and making mistakes that are causing goals to be scored. Uh, you know, so and this is not this is not a criticism of a veteran player who's reached his potential, his peak. This is about, you know, depending on guys who still have not shown, you know, the good old days that I reflect on are teams young players are worked into the lineup and eventually sometimes one out of maybe four or five or six of the rookies you have all of a sudden plays NHL caliber hockey, and, it, and it's, it's a reward. It's a gift. But today, teams are relying on, for example, the Leafs, on Nylander and Matthews to carry this team out of the wilderness. And, you know, we hear all the talk about, you know, being tired emotionally, mentally, when it comes to the goaltender, Anderson. Don't you think that that's a lot of pressure on two young lads who know 
how much they're going to be paid. They're not being paid that amount yet, uh, but who know they're going to be paid that much. Do you think maybe it's a lot to expect of these young guys to carry the load, even though they sign for those contracts? I think, you know, talent-wise, yeah, talent's there. We know that, and you, you've brought that up. I think, you know, the reason why these players were given such a prominent, though they were signed to these deals, is because management and the coaching staff believe that they can rise during these occasions. Like, with the things that you brought up, Frank, that they're struggling with, especially Matthews with the face-offs, these are, I think, they should be correctable mistakes. You know, Matthews has shown that he's willing to work on parts of his game. So I think, I'm wondering, is the coaching staff, and and I know Babcock's big on face-offs, so I, I would assume that that's something he's going to work on with Matthews, and they should be trying to work on it. They have, they're going to have time now between, they're going to have more practice time with their schedule kind of getting a little bit lighter down the stretch here. Um, but I they think, had, you know. They had a tough break. 28 days in yeah. February, and they played 14 games. Exactly. And, and you know, there's – and, look, uh, I I was watching – I think it was the game against Philadelphia. I think that was the one where Matthews – there was a couple of goals that went against where he lost the draw, and, you know, big bang, pucks goes in the net. Like, you know, that's something that, within you know – Yeah, within seconds. Like, there's – you know, when you lose the draw – and actually, I read an article um, in The Athletic about how the Leafs are one of the worst teams when it comes to allowing chances when they lose the face-off in their own zone. You know, generally, they're pretty good at face-offs in their own zone, but when they do lose them, they're the worst at giving up chances. So that could be more of a systems approach with how Babcock is implementing how the team defends when they lose a face-off. Because I think he's more of, you know, we got to win the draw, we got to win the draw, but the focus isn't on what happens after. So, I mean, this is where Backhawk needs to realize these are two young guys that, you know, you have to coach them up a little bit in these situations because, really, they haven't been put in these situations, you know, from when they were in the junior ranks. We talk about how in the AHL some of these players may get more of that time because, a guy like Sheldon Keefe will work on it. Well, Nylander got some of that work. Matthews got none of it because he was put in the NHL right away. So now that they're being put into the situation now, they don't really have that experience. So this is, I think, really more on Babcock trying to, you know, make those adjustments so these guys can are better prepared for those situations. So I guess the short answer would have been if I were to make it a little synopsis, they're not being put in a in a position to be successful. It's it's more or less a Babcock system that's all in. Yeah, in a way, and you know, it it works for a guy like John Tavares because you know he's capable. He's, he's been in these situations. He has the experience, knows what to do. Even a guy like uh, even like a guy like Nazem Kadri. He's been through it. Absolutely. He's, he's got experience. Matthews, Matthews, really, his thing is he hasn't been through it. You know, say what you want about him playing in Switzerland under a guy like Mark Crawford, but Switzerland and the NHL are not the same thing. The AHL, even the AHL and the NHL are not the same thing. I think that's people, what people are 
forgetting in a way. You know, you can have success in the NHL and in the NHL, but you can't expect it to be to get easier or the players to make translate. that translate. translate it in the same way. It just doesn't happen that way. Yeah, the pro- the problem the problem also is I think this is the other, what we're starting to see is we're starting to see a team go into panic mode, a media surrounding them going into a panic mode, the media around them, the majority of the media that covers the Toronto Maple Leafs is associated to the ownership of the team. And I think the problem also is that the media is trying to prove that they're not the guys involved are trying to prove that they're not protecting the team. And so therefore they say things that are very um, fiery. For example, this week, is there a problem between Babcock and Dubas? A comment yesterday uh, from Babcock suggesting that maybe he doesn't have the talent to succeed, that they don't have the guys who can step in when players get injured like other teams. And, make a transition and maintain a successful level of play as opposed to hitting a wall. And, and, and this to me, this is, this is, this is the part that's scary to me. If you're a Leaf fan or if you're someone who feels that they have some knowledge of the game, some knowledge of the dynamic that is an organization, um, you know, a knowledge of, of, of experiencing how coaches and general managers operate separately and together a lot of the thinking process right now is the ship is, is, is taken on water. And that, to me, is the truly scary part, if you're a Leaf fan, because you can't like what you're hearing, you know, coming out of Babcock's mouth, and then add, add to that or put that alongside the fact that, you know, you're hearing specifically, specifically, they're, they're saying that Muzzin wasn't the guy that Babcock wanted, needed, or is happy with. What are your feelings? Well, my feelings on that, and I, I, I've been hearing a lot about the, you know, pointing fingers and everything. Um, that's more so on the coach for not communicate. If if Babcock and, and Dubas are at this point of, of bad communication of what the coach wants, what does he needs and all that, I actually don't even think it's Dubas or Babcock. I think it goes higher than that to Brendan Shanahan because he's the one that's supposed to make sure that everything in the organization is being run smoothly and there's, you know, cohesion. So if Babcock is calling out his general manager, I think, you know, you know, Babcock sometimes can be subtle and sometimes he's not as subtle. This is what the comment uh, was should have been because look, Jake Muzzin fits what the Leafs need, which is a dependable defenseman. And he if it wasn't for him, the Leafs would have had no chance to come back in that game against Philadelphia. But like if Babcock is calling out his GM during this because he doesn't have the depth or anything, then that's really Shanahan should have made sure that both the coach and the GM are on the same page. Like that should not be happening if that's what's going on right now. You have gone into an area that I wanted to slide into, so thank you for that. We didn't pre-discuss this, folks. This is uh, this is just uh, a great 
a great lead-in to what I wanted to say. Shanahan made a decision before the season started. He has an experienced coach, agreed? A very experienced coach, agreed? Very experienced, yep. Right? He had a very experienced general manager in Lamariello. And he had a young prospect general manager. And I'm afraid, you know, that part of the problem is that Shanahan made this decision to, for the future, to keep Dubas. We all know the whispers. We all know the conversations that were had with Dubas leaving the organization to become a general manager at another, at another franchise. In fact, permission was requested and then denied, in fact. So we know that Shanahan had to make a decision about Dubas, fish or cut bait. Well, he decided to cut bait with Lamoriello and decided to keep Dubas. In hindsight, in looking at this situation backwards, you know, in hindsight being, you know, 2020, I'm afraid that when we look back at this, the undoing of the Maple Leafs' progress may be simply because the steady hand of Alamoriello has been replaced by a guy who, who has very little experience, on, you know, on, hands-on experience. Yes, he's been around a few years watching Lamarillo, but he hasn't had hands-on experience. And I'm afraid that when you have, and here's, here's my logic, like it or not, you have a young team, the leaders, are, the leaders you're relying on to take you there, wherever it is you want to be, which for most is, you know, that silver mug, are young. The coach is experienced, but he's not a big fan and never has been a big fan of young players. He's a, he's a coach who loves experienced players. Then he has a GM that is new age GM, right? And doesn't have experience. And now what you end up with, I think what's going on here is, is Shanahan without intention, but in my opinion, hindsight being 2020, not foresight, that he has straddled one way of doing business of running a team with another. In other words, his team, he's trying to do both things at the same time, run a team with experience and with no experience. And, and the two are separate. You've got a coach with tons of experience who wants players with tons of experience. You've got a GM who wants to try new things. Can we really be surprised with what happened at the deadline? Can we really be surprised that Patan is being signed for another two years? The Leafs, uh, you know, Dubas loves smallish, talented players. The Leafs have lots of those. What they don't have are the kind of players and defensemen that they want, and that is that the coach wants. Physical players, right-handed shooting defensemen, and then when it all started, and this is when, you know, the Leafs have been uh, questioned Dubas has been questioned on his decision since day one. Remember, this goes back to the backup goaltender, McElwain. Yeah. The decision on him. What I will say, there. So this is a this is an interesting thing because I've heard a lot about how you know, I mean, Lamarillo wants to run the team his way. 
And maybe I, I thought there was, a, in a way, Shanahan wanted to move forward in a different direction, um, mm-hmm. but in a way, too. There's a couple of things here. Yeah, I think Lou uh, Lamarillo, what he's done in New York, I mean, what he's done in New York partly has to do with what he had to come come in with and what was already there and what he brought in as well. Um I'm just trying to put this in in the proper way. I think Lou would have been helpful in this situation, definitely. But I also think that part of the issues here are also because of Lou, in a way, Babcock. Because we know how much Babcock, when they brought in Nikita Zaitsev, Babcock was a big recruiter for Zaitsev and a guy like Ojiganov. These are guys that Babcock really wanted, and the organization brought them in. They gave Zaitsev a shiny, you know, $7 million deal. Sorry, seven-year, seven-year $4.5 million deal. And now, arguably, I think he's been one of the worst defensemen, and his, you know, his issues have been really magnified lately. And this is a guy that Babcock really wanted, and he's not working out. And a guy like Patrick Marlowe, who I agree has a lot of veteran presence. He plays the game, you know, the right way. He hasn't even been playing that well. Another guy that, you know, Lamarillo brought in and Babcock really wanted. Two guys that are being paid, you know, a hefty chunk of change that are not performing. Like, you, if you're a team and you're paying guys like that, and they're not performing. There's only so much that you can do. So I think, in a way, you know, Dubis's hands were tied in that he had these contracts when he came in. There were things he wanted to do when he came in. Um, now I also agree that there's parts of the roster that have that you know need tinkering or that, yeah, he's prioritized guys who have had good AHL numbers, smaller skilled players. And, you know, you can have those, but maybe there's an over-reliance on that. I think there's, you're right in that regard. But I also think that, you know, Lou Lamarillo did a, a good job getting, like, a guy like Anderson, a guy like McElhaney. I think the McElhaney thing is, like, one of those hindsight things where you were thinking too much about the future and not about the present. Like, I think that we're totally, you're totally right on. I think that was a mistake. Um, but there are some not things because, that not because not because Spark didn't deserve a chance, mm-hmm. but the fact is, at some point, at some point, you ha- I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, at some no, point, that's fine, David. Yeah, ha- yeah. At some point, you have to decide: is the future today or is the future tomorrow? You know, and and I think what the Leafs have going on right now is they have two solitudes. One is, let's get her done today, but let's get her done today without hurting tomorrow. And that's being half in. You know, if, if you're not all in one way or the other, neither way is going to work. Because if you're not all in youngish, going younger, then you're not going to be where you want to be when usually you say we're going younger. And if you're going for a cup, if you think it's time, then you don't get a left-handed defenseman when it's public knowledge that your coach wants a right-handed shot defenseman. This is my point, is that 
they both were, are, 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 are doing what the actions of the GM don't coincide with the desires, the public, public, public. And in case you don't know what I mean, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to listeners, the spoken words that come out of the coach's mouth are not being, are not landing on the general manager based on his actions. And this, to me, is the root of the Leaf problem, where they are not on the same page, and probably Dubas is going to have to go to wherever Babcock lives and go put a bottle of wine on the kitchen table and have a conversation in the offseason, very much like Babcock and Matthews last offseason. That's the problem here, is that there is a disconnect in the Maple Leafs that they may or may not be able to rise above, but I don't think they can based on the objective which is winning the Stanley Cup. If all, all, all men on board, all people on board aren't on the same page, you can make the playoffs, you can finish first, you can win a round, but you aren't going to win a championship or even make it to the Stanley Cup final, David. And that's what I see as the problem, is that they're not, these guys aren't pulling on the rope in the same direction. They're not rowing in the same direction. They're going around in circles. And now it's becoming very clear, and Babcock's publicly opening himself up to being interpreted as criticizing the general manager, his boss, publicly. Yeah, no, that and that's a big issue. Like you can't, I, I, I'm not a fan of, and, and we've talked about how we are not a fan of, of players calling out the team in a certain, in a certain fashion. Right. And I'm not a fan of when the coach does it as well. Like, you know, if you're the coach, you're telling the GM. And, and what's funny, too, is I remember when the Leafs brought in Frank Corrado, when it was Lamarillo who brought in Frank Corrado. And Babcock did not play him, would not play him. And it was the same exact situation as what we're kind of seeing now. And I think, really, if the GM does a move that Babcock is not 100% on board with, Unless he is his hands are tied, where he has no choice but to play the guy, he's not playing him. Unless it's a guy that, he, and again, there, I remember when um, he was first brought in, and people were saying, you know, you know, maybe Babcock is going to be like a co general manager, and that he'll have a lot of say in right. personnel. Right. And Babcock was, he says, nope, that's not what my role is going to be. But now we're kind of getting the sense that, hmm, maybe we were. He was maybe a little too uh, quick to say that. I, I think there's, you know, as a GM, you need to put your foot down because, yes, your coach plays the players. He needs the players to succeed. I think Dubis has given him Babcock players that he has wanted in a way to succeed. Uh, but at the same time, the coach has to work with what he has. He can't just ultimately say, well, this isn't a guy I want. I'm not going to use him. Well, you won't know unless you use the guy. So we've seen it in the past, yeah, even it, with Lamarillo, and I think that's, that's just the way Babcock is. I think he was also like that in Detroit, too. Well, it, it, there are many that suggest uh, that a lot of people walked him to the door when he was leaving Detroit opened the door for him, opened his car door for him, waved at him as he went by goodbye. A lot of people were happy in Detroit. This is what some have said. 
happy to see him go. If that's true, let's let's figure out why that would be. Why would why would players be happy to see Babcock go? Why would other people within the organization not whine the fact that he's gone? Well, simply from what I can tell and from what I can gather is that Babcock literally has an opinion about what he's going to do and no one can change his mind. And no one is going to either get the cooperation from him to at least to at least give the impression that they're going to give that, you know, that thought a chance. You've highlighted one of the main uh, an example of, of the problem with Babcock. Um, Lamarillo brings a guy in. He doesn't even get used. You know, uh, the coach, the GM says, look, I don't want to lose this young goaltender. I need you to use them. First thing Babcock does is, you know, the first chance this kid has to show what he can do. Babcock's all over the fact that he lost uh, his goaltender, mentioning it privately. Unfortunately, in my mind, that speaks to the issue that I have with Babcock in the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't give the impression that he's a team player. And that could be problematic if that's true. As I said, it's only an impression I have. And David, if he's not a team player, those around him are going to suffer. Yeah. And you know, I, I will say this. I mean, Babcock has come you know, a way in that, you know, in Detroit, he wouldn't trust young players at all. And in Toronto, he has been more inviting to young, some of the younger players, provided that they play the game the way he feels like they should be playing it. You know, he's been very open about Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews. In a way, he's been tough on William Nylander, but I've seen this week, I've seen some positive comments from him about Nylander. Uh, Nazem Kadri, Morgan Riley, like these are guys that he realizes he needs to work with them because this is his core. You know, there isn't a different core coming from so, and I think he's embraced it. And you're seeing success with these these players and in, in you know, in how they've played. It's not those guys I think we're and as we're talking about this. I think those are not the guys we're having the issues with. It's the guys that Dubas is hoping that can come in and provide provide something and Babcock just doesn't see it. It's the guys like um it's, I'm trying to out the top like a guy like Justin Hall. We brought up Garrett Sparks. Um we look at guys like Trevor Moore who's been in and out but Babcock seems to liken him a little bit more lately. So there and a Josh Levo is probably a perfect example too, the latest to go out and is now succeed having some success in Vancouver. You know, these are guys that just, you know, once Babcock has a kind of an opinion on how they've how they are, then you need to do a lot to to change it. A lot of it has to do with just finding success and contributing to the team's winning and you know, it just it comes to a point where you can't deny their impact. Um, and some of them have done that, and some of them have to continue working on it, I guess. But Babcock generally has done a better job embracing younger players, but I think there are some people who think he could uh, do a little more to support them, but I think it's just 
he has his ways, and granted, there have been some things that he's been right about, like the McElhaney thing. You know, there's mm-hmm. like that's something we can agree that you know maybe he wasn't totally off on those comments, and that's just something that you know that's just a struggle. That's a that's a battle that you're gonna have once in a while with a coach. You know, yeah, I, Babcock's on, he's got four plus years left. The balance of this season, then another four years on his eight con, eight year contract left. Uh, Zaitsev has been has been considered by a few a failure. Um, four point five for the player whose production is what it is. Um, I I have opinions as far as Zaitsev's concerned, and and some of the players. The defenseman on the on the team. Uh, my opinion on the, on the team is that unfortunately, listen. It sounds like I'm an anti Babcock guy. No, that's not what that's not my point. I'm just here trying to call them as I see them. And here's another thing I see. I see that Zaitsev needs to be with a defenseman who's very responsible to get a chance to use his speed and his and his. He has offensive. He has offensive ability. But he is cast in the defensive part. He, he's the one who has to be physical. He doesn't have the body type to be the kind of physical defenseman he needs to be. He is being put in a situation where he can't be successful. That's my opinion. Ozhiganov is more, more or less built better and is more suited to that role that Zaitsev you know, seems to be, be asked to, to play. On the, you know, that's to me the good news. The good news front here in in the subject that we're talking about, when it comes to Dubis, the one thing I really like that he's done, and that is he has created an atmosphere in the organization where players that he brings in who think they might have a shot. This is the era where players will be paid a lot of money because they have success early. And then there are going to be the players who want the opportunity because they're not successful early to at least be around for a decent amount of money and be, you know, in a position where they're given a chance to succeed. And if the organization understands that maybe they're not giving these guys the the right opportunity, you mentioned Josh Levo. They will sign these players, and he's already given the impression that he's willing to give the young guys a shot, which to me, in the long-term good and the dealings of Dubas, is that young players are going to trust him and trust him because he says, look, I'll sign you here for a two-year contract. Yes, it's not that much money, but we're going to give you a chance to show what you can do. And if there isn't room for you on a, on a roster, we won't bury you in the minors, a la Josh Levo. So I like that move. You know, it isn't all about, you know, not everything a GM or a coach does is bad. It's the problem right now is that when the team isn't winning, people are looking for the biggest reason why they're not winning. And always what we do as commentators and as everyone does is we always talk about the ones, the obvious reasons, which may not even be impactful on the results. So, you know, this team, a couple of wins, and all of a sudden goaltending isn't an issue. A couple more wins, and all of a sudden the size of the team isn't an issue. Winning the first round, all of a sudden people say, well, you know what, maybe we were just a little over, you know, over, overly concerned about the physicality of this team and or 
the opposition, for example, the Bruins that the Leafs cannot compare to. You know, this it's all about winning. So to turn this thing around, David, what do you see that needs to be done? For me, it's simply success and being able to allow it to happen instead of panic mode. What do you think will turn things around? Well, first and foremost is just cleaning up. If you clean up the little things that you know you can't change, like, you know, I've, I've been very much looking at every goal for most games. And I, I give credit actually to Craig Budden because he put, they put out a video of him just kind of explaining what the Leafs are doing defensively that's leading to some issues. There's times where this team is being over-aggressive in either the defensive zone or in the offensive zone. You know, I've seen Austin Matthews and William Nylander put up a lot of great chances offensively, and there's times where they get caught, and then the transition play, they're not slowing down players in the neutral zone. And, you know, there's little things like that where they could do more to make it harder for the the opposing team to get chances on net, you know, being a little tighter on the coverage, not being over-aggressive and overplaying certain situations. I think right now when you're losing, you tend to try to do too much to, uh, you know, you try to do too much to over to compensate for that. Um, so Backlog needs to have this team settle down a little bit. Yeah. They're putting extra pressure on themselves. So it's up to Babcock and the players themselves just to take a step back, take a breath, you know, really think. And, you know, it's funny. Gary Sparks said the team needs to play with more emotion. I think that's far from the issue. The issue is they need to use their brains more and just think, okay, you know, what's the right play here? What has the coach told me to do in this situation? And do it, you know. Babcock, I've heard from a lot of interviews I've read, I've heard, I've watched, I've listened to. Players say he's one of the smartest coaches when it comes to the X and O's and preparing and all that. So the Leafs just need to relax and realize that, you know, they have this, you know, they have the player, you know, the personnel to get done. They have the... You know, the practices, they just need to relax, not let things get to them. And as you said, just breathe, take it easy. Don't put that pressure on yourself. I think when things go bad, if you, I mean, first off, letting in the first goal in every game, not a good situation. It just means that now you're really putting the pressure on yourself. Now it's like, oh, here we go again. Really take control from the start, and I think you'll see a big difference from the Leafs team. I think the quote that uh, was it was it uh, was it Sparks that was saying we need to play angry, or was that Connor Brown? Was it Sparks? No, it was. Said it was we Sparks. needed to play. He said, "I'll, I'll I can his, tell his you, I pretty much memorized it." Angry. He says, "I'm a player that likes to play with emotion. We need to play anger. We need more emotion." I don't know about you, Frank. I've been watching hockey for years. I have no idea what that means. I, I think I do, though. I, I, I'm going to say I think I know what it means by playing angry. And, and I think what, it, what, 
what he what he's saying and needs to say is the team needs to play with this we're gonna win whether you like it or not attitude. This we have to win. And there does seem to be uh, a little less passion in this Leaf team when it comes to winning. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this about that, and that is the team plays like they think they should win, not like they want to win. And I think that's what he means. And I think he's right about that. Okay, I, could, okay, that, I agree that, you know, you can do a bit more to – I, you know, Don Cherry brought up the William Nylander video where he's getting a little too friendly with uh, the guy from the Flyers, uh, the other yeah. player. I think, yeah. I mean, first off, I think Cherry tickled his comments a little too far in how he worded it. But um, I think you're right. I think, you know, when your team isn't playing, you know, a certain way, when things aren't going right, that type of stuff shouldn't be happening. You know, you should be showing that you're you're not happy. I get that. You should be showing that you want it more. I get that. That's right. Although, when we talk about putting pressure on yourself, the last thing you want to do is put extra frustration on yourself when things aren't going right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the, the intent, I suppose, is always to play harder than the other than the opposition so to cherry's point how can you be playing harder if you're smiling at the opponent and making and cracking a joke mind you though you know those looks that those two players gave don't necessarily guarantee that they were saying nice things to each other you, you get what i'm saying right oh yeah yeah definitely like you know you know i've seen players Oh yeah, I've seen players give nasty comments to each other, and the other what other guys do is they just smile and nod it off like it's nothing. Like I've seen that too. I agree with that. We also saw what his teammate you know, did, where he no, pretty much was in his ear about it. Yeah, it, you know, it, you know, look at look at uh, Marchand. How many times he's smiling while he's doing something really horrendous. You know, so it, just because someone's smiling at somebody doesn't mean they like them and or are sharing a, a, a warm moment. <laughs> you know, sarcasm sometimes it makes uh, a nasty comment even worse. And, and I think I've seen more of that in, in sports than I have the other. And uh, but still, it, it's the impression uh, that is left by by players. And since you're dealing with a guy, Cherry, who's all about appearances who's all about, you know, um, expecting a certain vibe on the ice, which is long gone, you know. The only reason why, you know, Cherry's right a lot of times is because eventually he has to be right. And he has played the game, and he has coached the game, and he has watched the game, and he's watched young players grow up. This guy understands the game in a way that many people haven't had the chance to. You know, this guy is immersed in hockey. That's that's what he's done his whole life. You know, he's in his 70s now, and he has spent a lifetime being directly involved in the game. So, of course, he's going to have some emotional understanding of the game that others do not. So you can't take that away from him. But on the same token, assuming that Nylander and I forget who the flyer player was. I apologize. Like you, I don't remember the player's name, but I know that he was another Swedish player. 
because Jerry made a point to say that. Uh, that a comment like that, I can understand why that that kind of look would would bother Cherry. I get it. I get it. And, and in a way, during the game, I, I, I'm not sure that that's the kind of behavior you want. And I think that's what Sparks is talking about. I don't think there's any coincidence that Sparks spoke immediately after, within less than a day after Cherry said that kind of thing. There's Sparks saying the same thing in a different way, right? No, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, you know, a guy like Cherry is your right. He's seen he's seen how teams act. He's seen how players act. There's some that don't behave the way that we've been accustomed to, you know, being told how to play. But you know, when things aren't going right, I I think you, there's definitely right that there could be some correlation between, you know, Sparks and look, Garrett Sparks is a very um, active on online and on social media. He knows what people are saying about him, so he knows that he is in the um, he's kind of in in the crosshairs of these nations. So he's going to say what he really thinks, and at this point. He doesn't care what other people have to say about him because he knows he's not in their good graces. But I think, you know, he feels like Never the message it. isn't being delivered, and he feels like since nobody else is doing it, I'm going to be the one to do it. Absolutely. Okay, before we get too far down the road, uh, let's take a look at the games that were played uh, last week. Uh, they lose to Chicago 5-4, um, a game that they were behind uh, – Four nothing and ended up losing. Oh no, I think they were behind five nothing, weren't they? Uh, five and nothing, then lose yeah. five four. Yeah, and they lose five four. Uh, slow start. That has been the theme this past week. The Leafs have had a slow start. Not only that, um, well, uh, the goaltender Anderson, whom we consider the reason why the Leafs are where they are, gets pulled two games in a row. Um, was he pulled because he because of bad play, or, or was he pulled because the team was really terrible in front of him and Babcock was trying to cut him some slack? I think the latter is true. How about you? Oh, I think definitely the latter. I, I think Anderson hasn't been exactly sharp. Like, you know, he hasn't been the, the miracle worker that we've been accustomed to seeing. But let's be real here. The team hadn't done anything up until – the five one pretty much five nothing. They had done nothing to deserve to be in that game. And then all of a sudden, like a light bulb went off in their head and then it turned around. So yeah, I think you know that just the team just hung them out to dry in that one. The team scores seven goals, allows six, beats Philadelphia, the same recipe except the a final result that was better for the Leafs. They end up winning 7-6 in a game where they were behind by four goals and overcame uh, a good start by the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, this game, I think it spoke more uh, to the Flyers being a little bit tired, and they looked tired at the end of the game, and the Leafs were able to capitalize on that tiredness. And, of course, that 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 seemed to need or require a wake-up call they they don't seem to you know that that famous saying it's famous now you know start on time they didn't do that this week and they didn't do it against chicago and they repeated the same issue with philadelphia and in fact in the final game of this week the same thing's true against ottawa they didn't start on time and uh 
in two of the three cases, they didn't end on time either. I will say that against Philadelphia, yeah, they. I felt like they were a bit better at the start against Philadelphia. That they weren't. There weren't the major momentum swings. Um, I mean, they were down one nothing after the first period. So you know, another game where they didn't. You know, they haven't grabbed the lead. Um, I just felt like in this one, they did a better job of controlling the play. It was just. You know, those little mistakes, the lost face-offs, James Van Rienzijk in front of the net like he's done so often and they should have been prepared for, um, that was an issue. And um, I think, you know, you saw the miraculous turnaround. You saw, I, I think in that third period, they really gave it to Philadelphia. Like, they were relentless in that third period. So, um, and then Philadelphia made it, you know, very close in the end. And I think, yeah, Philadelphia, there were some tired bodies. I think they had played the night before, if I'm not mistaken. They or did they, have some... they were Right. So, um, I wasn't happy. I mean, Philadelphia is, is a desperate team. They they saw that they were within, almost within striking distance of a playoff spot. So, you knew they were going to come out desperate. And those are the most dangerous teams. And those are the three types of teams that they believe lost to this week. So, the Philadelphia game, I wasn't as, you know, out of the three, wasn't it wasn't as much of a bother. I mean, because they won, but also because I felt like they did play a bit better. I mean, it was just the some those mistakes that led to those goals that I wasn't a fan of. Yeah, and they, you know, those are three teams that are, you know, not playoff bound. Yes, Chicago's on the perimeter, the periphery. Uh, but and Philadelphia has some hope. Ottawa, you know, they're they're trying to, you know, they they may end up with the first overall pick, which won't be theirs. So needless to say, this past week um, it is not exactly the kind of week, um, you know, where they should have only received two or six points. The, these are these are teams that are not in the playoff hunt. No, exactly. I mean, the, those are teams that have also given Leafs the problem the entire season. The Leafs have always played the top teams pretty well. It's those teams that are not, that are kind of the periphery or have something or maybe feel like they have something to prove that they always struggle to play games. So it, I wasn't exactly thinking the Leafs were going to blow them out because I hadn't seen it as often, but you, you don't want to see it at all. You don't want to see teams that are, you know, not in, they're not in the playoffs for a reason, and I don't think the Leafs really took it to them like they should have. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess the underlying issue uh, this past week uh, has been the conversation coming out of the Leaf organization, out of the team, the coach, we haven't heard anything from the GM or or, or nothing from Shanahan, um, but there is a little bit of a you know we got a problem here we need to fix. They're not in a position to suggest that they're ready for the playoffs. They've got ten games left, and you think in those ten games the issues that are apparent at this point can can they all be straightened away and. The, what, is straightening it away mean does 
Anderson carry this team like he has from the beginning? Or is there, um, you know, a play, a play by their, by their stars of the present and future showing us that they are actually stars and that they can carry this team? Um, that's my biggest concern is that they lack the kind of leadership right now this past week where somebody, you know, takes over on the Leafs squad to carry this team into success. That's what they've been lacking this week, in my opinion, more than anything. Yeah, I I mean, you, it's no coincidence I feel like the Tavares, Marner, Heinlein haven't exactly been, you know, the leaders during this week. Like, they haven't been as forefront. Uh, you know, Matthews and Nylander in the game against Chicago and Philadelphia really pushed, you know, they kind of tried to push the team and roll the team. And again, Chicago, they came up short. They let, you know, they helped uh, win the game against Philadelphia. Um, I saw, I think, I think I saw a bit more leadership out of Jake Buzzin against Philadelphia when he, you know, decided to score, <laughs> finally score a couple of goals and just, it's those guys that I, I feel like they need to do more of that. We've talked about some of the guys that have not played well, but at the end of the day, you live and win by how your star players play, and I feel like they haven't really played to their capabilities lately. No, they have not. And, and they have players on that team that need to do that. They have players on that team that need to show that winning at all costs is the issue. You know, this business about, you know, and Babcock is right, you know, there's no excuse for the players that are left to play because some are injured who cannot carry the load for a short time. It's not like they got to carry the team for, for, you know, 25, 30 games. You know, that's the part that's very frustrating, you know. Um, uh, when you when, when you know for a fact teams, other teams are are like for example Arizona Boston um, there there are out there who have suffered a lot of injuries far more than the least and have been less affected by those injuries. Well, I mean, in the case of Arizona, I feel like they were affected in a way because you know they had to make the adjustments and. They're, they finally crawled into a playoff spot. I mean, Boston, we know how they've been able to handle without Pasternak. Um, so it's frustrating to see that. But this is, I mean, Boston's also just, they've, they've been around. Uh, guys like Bergeron, Martian, they've been around. And those are the two guys that have been carrying that team. Uh, David Krejci has played a bit better. Um, Charlie McAvoy has been pretty good. Um, you know, a young guy that's been very good for them. So, I, you know, it's frustrating in that regard because I see who's doing it for Boston, and you're just waiting for someone to, like, for Leafs players. Like, Tavares has been doing that to a degree. Marsh, uh, Marner's been doing they that to a degree. Alone. Yeah. They can't do it alone. They can't. No, yeah, they can't. you know, let's like, – you touched on you touched on it a little bit when you were talking about Marlowe, uh, but we can't we can't sit there and say you know it's all on Marlowe. Uh, the problem is again this is this is the thing where, where you know we go back to what I was talking about earlier. 
You've got to make a commitment one way or the other. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. Uh, with the Bruins, they've decided they're going to have a team now, so they have they have a beautiful support group of veterans on that team. You know, they've got they've got players on that team that anger, or you want to call it desperation, or the fact that their careers. They've got a few players on that team who, if they don't win the cup this year. You don't know they'll get another chance to be in the position they're in this year, next year. You know, that there are players on, on the Bruin team that need to win now. Quite a few of them. You know, and, and they're central to the success of the Boston Bruins. So the rest of the team follows them. You know, I don't have to mention the names. You guys all, everyone knows who those players are. They, they've seen them over. There, there are players in the back end. There are players at center. And there are wingers on that team that, this is the year they need to win. and But that is created by the GM and their president, Neely. It's an atmosphere they, cre- they create where I know we're back at that. And I, I don't want to use the angry term because I don't agree with Sparks. It's not about playing angry. It's about playing with passion, playing with desire, and not accepting losing, which is, I think, when he says angry, because he knows when you lose, you get angry. And and you don't want you you don't want to lose, so you stop it, you know. And and the Bruins have that, and and those are the teams that will have success in the playoffs because they're willing to do almost anything to win. Do the Leafs have those kinds of players on their team? Players who could possibly show that they're willing to do anything to win. And and I think that is what that is what we we hear all the time about players playing tough you know it's not about punching somebody out it's not about driving somebody through the glass although that helps it's about that desire to win means you're willing to pay the price and does it look to you like the Leafs have enough players on that team to pay the price like for example of Boston like for example at Tampa Bay like for example a San Jose like for example a Winnipeg Jet team I mean, Nashville, the team they're going to play tonight, you know, these are all teams that have guys on that team that will not accept losing. Vegas, I forgot to mention Vegas. And there's more. There's a few more. And and, and I don't consider the Leafs in the group, in that group. That's where, where, when I talk about the compete level, okay, I don't see them in a mansion. You see them possibly entering into the conversation of being one of those teams that's playoff ready, playoff ready to win, playoff ready to fight for every inch of the ice and accept only winning, not losing. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I feel like the only the one player that's been like that for the Leafs this season has been Tavares. You know, when the Leafs have not played well, you you you've seen it from them. I I think what it is is just um, they understand what the media market is like here, and they're trying very hard to be very careful what they say and what they do, because one thing we've seen, Frank, one thing can get blown up in a big way in this market. So maybe they're trying very hard to not give off this, you know, this feeling of frustration, anger, or anything like that. At the same time, they've also been very crit- crit- they've been criticized on how they haven't really responded. So, 
Um, I feel like they're trying too hard to not make this, you know, as big of a as big of a deal because they know how the media will react in that regard. So they're being defensive, you think? I think they're just trying being careful. I wouldn't say defensive. I think they're just trying to be cautious. I think that's the, probably the word I would use in their Which, actions. Unfortunately, if you're right, and, and I don't see you being wrong about that, that's the, that's the not all in approach, which to me is the problem. The, the team is not all in. As an organization, they're not all in. Uh, for them to be all in, the impression to be given that they're all in, the coach doesn't make the comments that he's made. You know, um, the players don't make the comments that they've made. Uh, all those, all those things that we're talking about exist in our realities because of the, you know, the atmosphere around the team. It's, it's not a good atmosphere. It's not, a, it's not conducive to suggesting winning is the priority. Um, to me. That's what they need to do, winning at all costs. And and I think also to your comment about Babcock, he has to he has to not say the kind of stuff he's saying, you know, and that kind of stuff that he's saying, you know, it's not you know you and me against the world. It's you go under. I'm going to push you under the bus, and uh, let's move on. You know, it's not my fault. You know that's not how you win. That's not that doesn't create a winning atmosphere. And they do have a problem. They have a a real political issue to deal with within that organization. And and the this next week we're going to start to see. You know we said, you know beginning of April, you know less than a month, the real season begins. To be in a good position. All those conversations have to be about, literally, they have to say nothing. In other words, everything's going well. And I'm not sure they're going to be in that place. Or it's going to be interesting to see how this organization writes this ship in the short time they have left. Well, I think it's just, you know, I want to see this all will, could all change depending on how the playoffs go. We all know that. Um, maybe the players when the stakes get high, because right now the stakes aren't high in a way. Maybe that's when we'll see the They're in a neutral They don't have motivation to win. Absolutely. There is that. So maybe that's what the team, I mean, I I would like for the team to just have a business-like approach where, you know, every game should mean something. But I can also see why, you know, there and, and Doug McLean uh, said this recently. He says, when when the playoffs come around, it's all different. It cha- everything changes. The atmosphere changes, the intensity changes, and teams change because of it. I think, uh, you know, the Leafs last in the first game of the playoffs. They didn't bring that intensity, and it cost them. Then you saw them sort of shift, and they they were they finally decided that they needed to match the intensity. They made a series out of it. I mean, they ended up losing, but you saw them eventually rise up to that intensity level. I think maybe that's what they're waiting for. Maybe 
playing a team like Nashville tonight that's going to bring a little more intensity could do that. I don't know. Maybe Babcock needs to make them realize that they should try to prepare themselves for the playoffs by playing with a little more intensity. It all depends on what the message is. What what is the message that's being is being told by the coaches and and the players with between themselves? What is the message right now? Yeah, what's the message from our perspective? What's the message being delivered from the players' perspective? What messages are they hearing, and how they how does it fit into what they can do? Exactly, but and we 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 don't know that. Right, we don't know that. That's that's what you're referring to. Is that you know it's not about a you're not referring to a switch because if you're referring to a team depending on turning a switch because all of a sudden the calendar turns to April and all of a sudden now there are no more regular season games. Now you're playing against a specific team and one of them's got, you know, you got to win 16 games to win the Stanley Cup. You, you can't wait till then to turn things on. They're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to do something to ensure that the process that they're practicing is a good one. Now, having said that, over the years we've seen teams that, you know, that good teams that play awful at the end of the season, and then all of a sudden it's like the playoffs start and they're playing like not sure trying to relate to Leaf fans as sort of a little comfort food, that maybe they will revert to the kind of team they were during the season that seemed unbeatable. You know, when power play, speed, um, you know, scare the crap out of teams because they could score it well almost. You know, that, that's what the hope uh, for the Leaf Force when they get in the playoffs, which to me adds a question that I'd like to ask you. How important, you know, we're, we're talking about where do you want to play game seven? I also believe in the theory, as important as it is to play the home game, game seven, I think sometimes it's a handicap to play, play one and two at home. I think the advantage of games uh, at home or games one and two on the road. Yeah, I mean, it's home life advantage has always been something that teams have tried to play for and play towards. Um, I don't know though, because the Leafs have been a pretty good team on the road. But again, we know the playoffs are different because you get two games to start on the road rather than one. So, if I'm the Leafs, you'd want that home ice. Because, look, Leafs fans, let's be real here. It's not until the playoffs does that arena really have that atmosphere. So, if you're the Leafs, wouldn't you want to have that extra advantage? I would hope so. But right now, they don't have that unless they really, really work towards it. Absolutely. It, it, it is it, it is without question, without question, giant question, question marks everywhere. With the last 15 minutes, we can talk about the four games coming up. Nashville, great playoff test. This is the kind of game that they need to learn to play and to play consistently. This is, you know, never mind start on time. They're going to have to finish on time. 60 minutes of hockey. There's no, no not many other teams that can that can give the Leafs the understanding of what it means to play 60 minutes more than Nashville. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, Nashville right now, um, it's been a while since I've looked at the Western Conference standings, but they're a team that's in a fight right now with Winnipeg for that top division spot. Because for Nashville, you think about it, for Nashville, uh, right now they are three points behind. But it's the difference between playing St. Louis in round one or they would be playing Arizona (laughs) in round one. There you go. So, when, so, really, Nashville has a lot to play for right now, which could be maybe the best thing for the Leafs is that they have a team that has a lot to play for and they're going to try to push Leafs to get to a certain level. Um, but, yeah, they're a team that we know what they – they have that reputation as one of the top teams and, you know, they're all business – you know, 60 minutes, good defense, good blue line, good goaltending. So it's going to be a very interesting game in that regard that Nashville isn't as highly offensive, so they're going to try to play the more defensive style of games at least rather than a more open back-and-forth type of game. Agreed. And, and you know, both the – well, the Western Division, Central Division and Pacific Division – the commonality between the six teams that are in the three seeds in each uh, each of the Central and Pacific Division, Winnipeg, Nashville, St. Louis, Calgary, San Jose, and Vegas, all have one common thread. There are a bunch of baggage baggage smashers on those three on those uh, six teams, and those three series are going to be tough. And I. You know, Arizona, Dallas. Dallas, you know, used to have the reputation of being a a physically tough team. Um, Arizona, you know, not so much. But this is going to be the fun part, that in the Western Division, there's going to be a lot of physicality. Whereas in the Eastern Division, we look at the Eastern Division, and we've got Tampa Bay, who aren't exactly known as, you know, baggage smashers. In Boston, the, the the media out there and the fans out there don't think that this Boston team's tough enough. We know enough about Toronto. The Islanders, Washington, are probably the two toughest and most physical teams uh, of the six that are fighting for the three seeds in the Metropolitan and the Atlantic Division. So in, in a way, Carolina and Columbus add them in there and finesse for those two teams. I don't think they're either, you know, the Leafs aren't exactly built to lose against the West. They're more built to win against the East. As much as we talk about their lack of toughness, they are kind of lucky they're in the conference that they're in. Yeah, in a way they are, really. Um, Also, I'm pretty sure the Leafs have a pretty decent record against the Western Conference this year, but it's also because they play only games that those teams twice a year. I feel like if you play against, I mean, the Western Conference is tough with the travel. Like the amount of wear and tear it puts on your body to do all the traveling, on top of that, they're very physical. And I think maybe that's why the Western Conference is not viewed, you know, in a certain, like you look at the bottom part of the Western Conference, people talk about how it's so, it doesn't seem at, you know, there's so many teams fighting because it doesn't seem as competitive. But right. it's also because these teams just beat the living daylights out of each other just to get there. They sure do. They sure do. 
And you know, the biggest problem is Edmonton, for example, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there with Lucic's lack of success, just to give some Canadian teams, some, some respect, you know, they would play much better in the Eastern division. You know, they're not a baggage smashing team. They're not, they're not a real tough team. And they're having, they have a lot of difficulty with that kind of game in the Western division. Uh, Vancouver, the same thing, just to talk about some Canadian teams. They're not, as physical as they used to be in the days when they were challenging for the Stanley Cup. You know, Winnipeg and Calgary are tough-as-nails teams. You know, they are incredibly tough. They are the prototypical kind of team that you want to bring into the playoffs. And and that's what makes those two teams, as far as Canada is concerned, because many people are concerned. You know, it's been over 25 years. It's, you know, pretty soon we'll be closer to 30 than 25 where a Canadian team has not. A Canadian, and I don't mean Canadians, Montreal Canadiens. I mean Canadian team has not won the Stanley Cup in over a quarter century. You know, and so it, I, I'm hopeful with Winnipeg and Calgary, two teams that I think have a very good chance of making it to the Stan- Stanley Cup final. And of course, you know, all the hopes in, in the Eastern Division, as far as Canada, um, are strictly with the Leafs. You know, there's only three teams that that I think in Canada can be considered. You know, obviously, only three teams make the playoffs. You're gonna you're gonna end up with only three chances to win the cup. Uh, Montreal is out of the picture right now. Uh, can they get back in the picture? Um, what do you think? They're three points behind. Uh, they have, you know, um, Columbus, and and they, I don't know. Can they, can they? You think they have a shot to make the playoffs? I mean, they definitely have a shot, but I feel like they've really been dropping the ball. You know, they got shut out on Saturday against uh, Chicago. Um, they've had some pretty tough losses. They had one against the Islanders, which would have been a good statement for them to say we can beat a team that's you know in the play, you know, one of the top Eastern teams. Um, they do have a bit of a lighter schedule going up against, you know, they have Philadelphia, although Philadelphia hasn't been an easy game for most teams. They have the Rangers, uh, they have Buffalo, Florida. So it's going to be tough. I'm not as optimistic that they will make the playoffs just because, um, you know, they finished their season against Winnipeg, Tampa, Washington, Toronto. That's a very tough stretch of your two, three points out, and you have to hope that Columbus and Carolina can stumble somewhere, and right now they haven't. So that's going to be tough. And then and then if you're in a position where you have to be going 100-plus percent, to use the, the axiom that doesn't really isn't real, but that they have to – play 100%, give their all, and then get into the playoffs tired and then go on the road on top of that. It doesn't bode well for the hopes for Montreal to be a real cup challenger just because of the position they're in. Um, Yeah, so that's the case as far as Canadian teams are concerned. Right now, it's down to three teams that can break the goose egg that the Canadian, uh, that Canada has had, their, their National Hockey League teams with winning the Stanley Cup. Let's complete the show by talking about the upcoming games with the Maple Leafs. We touched on Nashville. I think we pretty much said what needs to be said there. Um, you want to add anything? Uh, for me, truculence is the key here, and playing 100% and uh, all 60 minutes of the game are going to be imperative tonight against Nashville. 
I think this the last time they played in Nashville, they had a pretty good game. So I would just replay what you did the last time you were in Nashville and hope for a similar result. Absolutely. Then they find themselves in Buffalo. This is a, a team, an organization, a town um, that are obviously well aware that their team will not make the playoffs this year. They're not mathematically eliminated as yet, but they pretty much are. And I don't think there's a city that likes being a spoiler when it comes to to Toronto more than Buffalo. How about you? Well, I mean, that's, that's a, that could be a dangerous game because Buffalo is going to play with, you know, nothing to lose. We've seen, you know, Jack Eichel take a suspension for hitting, you know, hitting a guy on the head. Um, so it, it, that's the type of game where it's going to be very uh, ruckus and um, you hope, and it's going to be the second half of a back-to-back for the Leafs. So, eh. I mean, the Leafs have played Buffalo well this season. They've beaten them all three times. So you just have to hope that the, the fourth time will, will shouldn't be an issue for them. Then we have the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers are a team in transition. Uh, there is much talk about the team making a lot of changes, but it sounds to me, and, and from what we've been hearing, this is a team that next year is going to will be making the move to be a really good team. The free agency is going to be a big deal for them. Players right now are playing for next year's contracts, and, and I think more than any other team Right now, especially in the Eastern Division, this is a team the players can hear the sound of change. And the organization has made it clear as of the end of last year, they said, we are now a team rebuilding. And, you know, as much as you can rebuild in in, in this era, um, they will be doing it. Yeah, and, you know, they've given the Leafs some, some problems this season, you know. A very close game the first time they played each other. You know what happened when the Leafs played uh, the Rangers at Madison Square Garden, where they the Leafs absolutely dominated the shot totals, but lost ended up losing that game. So you can't again. You can't young take Russian any team like yeah, young Russian goal. You can't take any team lightly. But you know, New York has made it clear what their what their the path they're going on. They've had some tough losses lately, so, you know, we could see either a team that's going to continue to struggle or a team that sees Leafs as one of those teams where, like, hey, you know what, let's not just fold and let's try to give them a hard time like they did the last time. Yeah, and, and you know, we're at that time of year where the term spoiler is highlighted each and every night. Speaking of spoiler, Florida is another team like the Rangers who this year are not happy with the way things are. And they're a team, I think, that we can look forward to seeing a lot of changes in the offseason. They, they have some incredible parts on that team, and they also have some obvious things that need to change. Uh, their goaltender, I think, is probably ready to retire. I don't know how you feel about that. Great career. But if this team's to make any move, they need a goaltender. They need great goaltending. And there's a possibility that, you know, there might be a free agent goaltender heading towards Florida, if not New York. 
Yeah, you know, they they definitely need uh, a goalie that's able to stay healthy and contribute. That's that's a given. And, and in a way, they need to up front. I think they just need to get a little more support behind, you know, Barkov and Huberdeau. They just haven't had that secondary scoring that teams need to to win. But yeah, I think you know, if you shore up your goaltending, that makes things just a tad easier. Absolutely, absolutely. We're down to a couple of minutes left, uh, five to be exact. Uh, is there a topic you'd like to touch on? Question or comment? Cool. Man, um, we've touched, touched on quite a bit. So, I mean, at this point, it's I, I think what's going to help the Leafs is, you know, they got the two games, the back-to-back, then they're going to have a couple of days off, then they're going to have the – you know, I think they have the game Saturday, and then they're gonna have they're gonna have more practice time. So I think, you know, hopefully having a little more days off and practice off can help them kind of manage. Um, because they, I, you know, there's been times where they just have not looked engaged, and you wonder how much fatigue does play into it as well. And you, in trying to establish, uh, and at this point, just trying to establish some sort of consistent baseline. And what you're alluding to is the same thing everybody's talked about when it comes to Anderson. It's not, you know, that physical fatigue is a problem, always a problem, when it comes to sports and athletes and production and ability to perform. But emotional fatigue, mental fatigue is even worse because the kind of rest you need, you almost can't afford to have. You know, we're seeing, for example, with Montreal, uh, Price has to keep going in, keep going in, keep going in. Why? Because they want to make the playoffs. And what does that mean? Well, it means that he's going to be more and more emotionally tired, and he's going to stumble physically into the playoffs, which is what everyone uh, talked about last year with, with you know the Game 7 performance of Anderson. That's a concern, and I think you're right. And that highlights it. No, exactly. I mean, um, I think Freddie hasn't played since um, since Friday. You hope that you know having that time off will <coughs> have him recharged. Um, and you know, he, there should be no reason why he plays a lot between now and the end of the season. And when we put a name on it, that maybe it's mental fatigue. Here's the really scary part, which. I'll probably make a few Leaf fans fall off their chair. Here's the other thing. He not only needs to go into the playoffs not being fatigued by definition, given by others, experts, but the real issue that I think he has to overcome is not the mental fatigue as much as the ability to win the big game, which the playoffs all are. And that's what he needs to prove this playoff season. Not only that he doesn't, isn't fatigued going in mentally, but he has the ability to win the big game. Because game seven last year, he sure didn't give us an indication that he could win a big game, David. Yeah, and I mean, 
that that was a big part. It was part of the reason why last year's playoffs was frustrating because we knew he wasn't on his top game. Um, hopefully this time around he is. Because um, I think a lot, you know, the past couple of years they've, you know, the Leafs have been trying to have really pushed them too much, and I'm hoping now that they've realized that they can't. So I do want to see what Anderson looks like when he, you know, fresh, looks like he's mentally there rather than, you know, really push him and he's just pretty much out of gas. So I, I'm – that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, we I've seen Anderson, you know, there was games last year in the playoffs where he performed really well, and that was the difference between the Leafs winning or losing. Um, but now, you know, every team that wins in the playoffs, Goaltending has been the key. You know that's that's just been it for uh, from you know any team you see. Goaltending is the number one factor. Yes, it's a, it's a very important factor. And I'll tell you something: the game of hockey relies a lot on mental attitude. While physical play is important, how you are mentally means a lot. David Morrisuti, thank you for being on the program. I'm Candace Frank. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully, we'll see you again next week. We do some late talk here on Candace Frank Live. And that's right, folks. It's Candace. It's Frank. Live. Coming Thursday, CFL Talk. See you then.